0: So good evening, welcome. Uh, This is the new term, the uh, series we're going to be doing this term, and it's great to see um, the groups looking full. Uh, Well, I mean, fuller than fuller than empty. Um, Just encourage you. we discussed we discussed whether on Thursday evenings we should we should go down to four groups um, because you know. Whatever, and uh, and actually we decided not to. We didn't want to go backwards. We want to keep growing. We want to keep. Hey, and uh, and this is encouraging that that the groups are full. So um, that's good. Please, please keep coming. I know it's easy to come at the start of the term, but why not really be committed this term to to sticking with it? Let me tell you what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to go through the Book of Colossians, um, and we're going to look at the book of Colossians try and get to grips with that but at the same time try and think through what does it mean to be Globe Church what are we about what are our big values what are things that matter to us we're going to try and see that they come out of the Bible rather than just random things that we plucked out of thin air and we're going to explore so hopefully by the end of this term you'll have a bit of a better idea of what Colossians is about and you'll also have a bit of a better idea about what Globe Church is about and uh, what matters to us as a church um, and there are Four core values that we're going to explore. Um, And uh, you may have heard these already. Um, By the end of this term, I hope that these really have got stuck in in our heads. Those four core values are relational, discipling, missional, generous. And we're going to have studies looking at what those four words mean and why they matter to us and why they're important to us. And that's where we're going. But before we get to any of that, we've got one thing which is above all of those, um, which we're going to look at tonight. Um, and that's where we're starting our series, and that is that Christ um, is to be everything to us. It's all about him, and we're going to see that from the book of Colossians this evening, and uh, I'm going to speak for a few minutes, and then in your groups you'll see that. But why don't we pray together as we start, and then we'll, we'll dig into Colossians together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much um, for the privilege it is to be here. We thank you for the beauty of the sunshine and the warmth. We thank you for good food. We thank you for one another. We thank you that we can enjoy being family together. We can enjoy being in our groups. We can enjoy eating and talking together. And Father, we pray that tonight we'd also enjoy learning from your word together and praying together. Father, please teach us what it means to be your church. We want to be a church which pleases you and we get so many things wrong. But Lord, we pray you teach us and that you'd help us tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Great. Let me start with a question. Um, How many people think at some point in their lives they will buy a dog? Okay. Very good. Great. So there's a number of people who at some point... Now, I've got some advice uh, for you dog buyers. I will never buy a dog. I'm very unlikely to ever buy a dog. But I feel like I have gained some wisdom on this subject of uh, dog buying um, and obviously, one of the key questions when you go to buy a dog is, is it, is it healthy? Right? You, you want to make sure you buy a healthy dog. It, you, unless you're one of those really charitable people who buys, like, skanky dogs and makes them nice. Which is what Jesus does, let's face it. That would be a very Jesus thing to do. But if you're after a healthy dog... Okay, I can see this illustration's not working already. If you're after a healthy dog, um, there's one or two questions... Here's 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 my top question, right? This is the first question I think you should ask when you go to buy a dog, right? If you're ever going to buy a dog, bear this in mind. And I hope on the day you buy your dog, this question comes back to haunt you. Uh, Here's the question. Does it have a head? Okay? I think that is a fundamentally important question when you're buying a dog. Okay? Does it have a head? It's a great first question to ask. Because it may have a beautifully soft coat and it may have strong muscles, and it may be, but if it hasn't got a head, don't buy it. It needs a head. I hope that's helped. And I look forward one day to you emailing me and saying, I want you to know I bought a dog today and it does have a head. If you buy a dog that doesn't have a head, you've been warned. Now you may say, well, what's the point of this? Well, here's the big point. a healthy dog needs a head. A healthy church needs a head. Okay? <laughs> <But> come on. <laughs> work, with, work with me, all right? I think that's made it crystal clear. I think. It's, uh, let's turn in our books to week one. Essential anatomy. Um, <laughs> and here is the essential anatomy. This is what we're going to learn uh, this term. Um, that a body needs a head. That's the first uh, big point. Uh, The body needs a head. And without a head, the body is dead. Without a head, there is no life. (laughs) And what we're going to see from the book of Colossians tonight is that it doesn't matter how relational or generous or missional or discipling we are, none of those things matter if Christ isn't our head. And it may sound really basic, and I know it sounds basic, and it may be like, oh man, is that really what we're learning like, Yes, that's what we're learning. <laughs> because, because the book of Colossians is written to a church who are decapitating themselves. They are cutting off the head. And Paul is writing to say, no, you need a head. So have a look with me, um, just a couple of places. Um Colossians chapter 1. Uh, look at verse 18 with me. Uh, this is on page 1182. Colossians chapter 1, 1182. And uh, let me read from verse 18. You're going to look at these verses in much more detail in a minute in your groups. But just notice uh, what we're told in verse 18. And he, that's Christ. He is the head of the body, the church. So there is, this is Paul's big language throughout Colossians. Christ is the head, the church is the body. Or flip over to chapter 2, verse 18, and see what we're told here. Here's the problem in Colossae. If the big challenge is, no, Christ is your head, here's what the church is in danger of doing. Paul writes, do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They're puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual minds. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Do you see the big challenge? The big warning to this church is You need a head. And to be decapitated, to be cut off, to lose connection with your head is a disaster for the body. Now, I think this image is so important for us to grasp. And interestingly, on Sunday, this coming Sunday, we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 12 and the big images of the body and Christ being the head. And it may just be that God is particularly saying to us this week as a church, as these two passages come together, He's saying to us, whatever you do, Globe Church, don't lose Christ. Don't, don't, don't lose connection with him. And we've got to hear him. He loves us. We're his church. And he's warning us. Now, let's just push this a little bit to think about what does it mean that Christ is the head? The body needs a head. Let's think. You see, sometimes we use the idea of head as like a figurehead. So we talk about the queen as the head of state. And she's kind of the figurehead of our nation. Now, I don't think it's true that all of life and all of Britain's growth comes from the Queen. That's quite a big pressure to put on a fairly little old lady. <laughs> Thanks, Sim. I love the fact that Sim's in the background, just kind of like making noises. <laughs> and it would be easy to think, yes, Christ is our head. He's kind of our figurehead. He's no no this is much stronger than that there is a connection between Christ and his church they are connected to the point that actually the head and the body that you can't separate them out they're, they're, they're together so what you find through the book of Colossians is over and over again you get this language of being in Christ or Christ being in you so um, Chapter 1, verse 27. Here's how Paul sums up the gospel. Right, this is weird. This is not how you would... If someone said to you, what is the gospel? This is not what you would say, but this is what Paul says. Um, Chapter 1, verse 27. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The gospel could be, yes, Christ forgives your sin. He died on the cross. He's reconciled you. Absolutely true. You're going to see that later. But the gospel can also be stated as, no, Christ is in you. You have a connection with Christ. You are joined with Christ. Paul had a really powerful experience of this um, when he first became a Christian. Do you remember when, uh, when Paul first became a Christian? Uh, he was walking along the road. Uh, <coughs> this is walking. Uh, he's walking along the road to Damascus. Because in Damascus there are some Christians and Paul is going to kill the Damascus Christians, right? And then Jesus appears to him and Jesus says to him in Acts chapter 9, Saul, why do you persecute me? So, now notice the language there. Saul is going to kill some Christians and Jesus says you're persecuting me. Why? Because there is a connection between Christ and his church. Because if you persecute a Christian... You're persecuting Jesus. The way you treat Christians is the way you treat Jesus. You can't separate them because Jesus and his church are so closely joined. Oh, just show you one other place in Colossians where you get this kind of, this in Christ, this kind of the closeness of the connection between Jesus and his church. Have a look over to chapter 3, verse 1. Now, look what it's saying about the relationship. What's the relationship? Shout it out to me. What's the relationship between Christ and his church, between Christ and the Christians? How's it described? Hidden. What's hidden? Life. So, your life is now hidden with Christ in God. (laughs) Right. If this is me, and this is Christ, okay, this is what we've been told. My life. Is hidden with Christ in God. That is where we are. Because we are connected with Christ. We are united to Him. We are joined to Him because He's the body and we're His church. That means when Christ died, what happened to us? We died. When Christ was raised, we have been raised. Where is Christ now? He's seated at the right hand of God. Where are we now? Seated at the right hand of God because our life is now hidden with Christ in God. doesn't look like it. No, that's because it's hidden. But one day, when Christ who is your life appears, you also will appear with him in glory. Of course you will because you're connected to him. And his story is your story because you're joined to him. And that's true of me. Whatever happens to my head... Also happens to the rest of my body, by and large. I'm sure you could probably come up with some... Ugh. Don't be picky. You know what I mean? <laughs> it would be weird if my head said one day, I'm going to go to Alton Towers, but I'm going on my own. That doesn't happen. Because the story of my body is connected. The story of Christ and his church is connected because Christ is the head and the body. Now, I think we really need to feel that connection and enjoy that connection. And that brings to the second point, which is a really quick point, because this is what you're going to do in your groups. Um, and that is that the body doesn't just need a head, it needs a good head. So when you look at your dog, you don't just want to check it's got a head, you want to check it's got a good head. And what you find in Colossians is that Paul spends so much of his time saying, Christ is The good head. Christ is the fullness of God. Christ is everything. Christ is magnificent. I don't think there's a book in the Bible which has a bigger presentation of who Christ is. Why? Because Paul wants to say, you don't need another head. You just need him. You're going to notice, we're going to try really hard this term to call him Christ. Because we talk about him as Jesus and he's Jesus Christ he's the Lord Jesus Christ but in Colossians it is Christ that is Paul's favourite term for him because Christ is the name that captures something of his magnificent royalty his magnificent power and we need to know that our head is the Christ but you're going to do loads more of that when you get to chapter um, 1 verse 15 to 20, uh, 20 whatever it is which you're doing in a minute but let me just, uh, I've got one final thing for us to say before we split into groups. And that is that the message of Colossians then is don't attempt a head transplant. Don't try and transplant your head. You, you know... Um, is that why they were doing that? Mm-hmm. Sorry? Is that why they were doing that? Yes, that's right. Your face swap. That was very evil in every single way. <laughs> um, you know, you know um, in Toy Story, do you remember Toy Story? It's like old school now. Uh, but Toy Story... The kid, what was the bad kid? Sid. And he got his sister's doll and put the pterodactyl head on the doll, right? Um, Which I thought was quite funny. But in, in the church, that's a disaster. That's what they're doing in Colossians, in Colossae. They have this terrific head, his name is Christ, and they are replacing Christ with something else. They're transplanting their head. They, they're choosing a different head. They're saying, we need another head. We need something else to really be Christians, to really be fulfilled. And they're losing connection with their head. Now, I think it's very unlikely that as a church, uh, we get to a point in the near future of saying, listen, we've had a rethink We've decided to abandon Christ and uh, go for a pterodactyl instead. And it's very unlikely we're going to do that. But I think there are subtle ways that we can begin to transplant the head. And perhaps we can approach becoming like nearly headless Nick in Harry Potter, that we kind of uh, we don't cut it completely, but we just move away a little. Let me show you an example. Um, Can you turn in, in your books to 2 Kings 16? This is going to seem random at first, but I hope you'll see what I mean. 2 Kings 16, page 386 is where I want us to go. Page 386. So verse 10, okay, we've got a king called Ahaz. Uh, Ahaz lived before Christ, uh, but they did have the temple, which was cool. And in the temple, they had an altar, which was cool. And uh, look what happened. 2 Kings t- uh, 16, verse 10. Then King Ahaz went to Damascus to meet tiglath Pileser, king of Assyria. He saw an altar in Damascus and sent to Uriah the priest a sketch of the altar with detailed plans for its construction. So Uriah the priest built an altar in accordance with all the plans that King Ahaz had sent from Damascus and finished it before King Ahaz returned. When the king came back from Damascus and saw the altar, he approached it and presented offerings on it. He offered up his burnt offering and grain offering, poured out his drink offering and splashed the blood of his fellowship offerings against the altar. The bronze altar that stood before the Lord, he brought from the front of the temple, from between the new altar and the temple of the Lord, and put it on the north side of the new altar. Now, this, I appreciate at first sight this seems random. But what's going on in that little story? What's King Ahaz doing? King Ahaz has the temple. He has the place of worship. He has this wonderful altar where you offer sacrifices to God. He goes off to Damascus and he sees something fancy. Oh, fancy new altar like that. Sketches it down, sends it to Uriah. Could you build me one of these? Uriah builds it. What does he do with the true altar? Did you notice? Yeah, he just shoves it to one side to make room for his new shiny altar. I'll put the altar on the north side. I'll still use it. I haven't abandoned God. I haven't turned away from him. We'll still use his altar. But I've got a shiny new thing now in the middle. And I want to suggest that that is far more likely to be our challenge. Not that we completely abandon Christ but that we put him just a little bit over there on the kind of right north side of the church in order to make room for the more exciting thing that we discovered, this new thing, this new head that we think is going to be all shiny spangly. That's, I think, what's going on in Colossae. They're in danger of pushing Christ out in order to go for something new. Now here, it's stuff like Worshipping angels. Or people who have amazing experiences. They become puffed up. It's, it's kind of impressive sounding rules. Those are the things that they're replacing. We're going to see all this stuff in the coming weeks. They're pushing Christ to one side. I wonder what it is for Globe Church. What is it that we're most likely to transplant Christ and put in His place? That we say, no, this is what really matters. I think there's a number of things. Now, before I say any of these things, let me say these are all good things. And in their right place, they are good. But if they try to take the place of head, they become bad. So, for example, it might be music. We want to be all about music. Music's our thing. And music is the way that we're going to really express who we are as a church. And music becomes the central thing rather than Christ. And Christ gets sidelined. And the music takes top spot. I think that's possible. Or perhaps we go for um, preaching. You might say that's a bit weird. I, hey, how did that happen? Well, what if? Let me say something. Right? If people talked about globe church and said globe church, and this is unlikely to happen, so let's let's just pretend. They said uh, our oh, globe church is a place that has great preaching. Can I say, that would be really sad. I don't want people to say that about Globe Church. I want people to say about Globe Church, that's a church that loves Christ. That's a church that makes much of Christ. That's a church that is connected with Christ. Do you see see the point I'm making? That the thing that becomes, or perhaps we say it's about community, it's about relationships. We just want to relate to one another really well. We want to be a really relational church. No, if you've abandoned Christ, then the relationships mean nothing. And so the challenge really for us this evening is to say, let's be a church that celebrates and adores and worships and trusts and is captivated by Christ our head. And let's watch for anything that would begin to push him out, begin to transplant him, begin to replace him with another head.